welcome to episode 11. This is the Original Judo Podcast. Hi guys, welcome to episode 11. I'm James Austin. Today I'm chatting to Ben Fletcher, um, who, again, we recorded this episode a couple of months ago. And since then, Ben is another athlete who's been absolutely flying. He got silver in the Cancun Grand Prix, bronze in Minsk, all in the last month or so. Um, we chat about his career and some of the early setbacks that he had in his senior career and, then, and, and moving on from then to become a Rio Olympian. Uh, it's one of the longer episodes. We, we might ramble back and forth a bit and it might seem a bit disjointed as we had to record it in, in two takes and then I edited edited it together and I clearly managed to record some of it with my hand over the microphone because some of the sound is desperate um, but I again enjoyed it so I hope you guys do too so this weekend is the VI Europeans in Warsaw so if you're around get down and support the team I'm sure it's going to be a great weekend of fighting um, anyway, on with the show. Hi guys, welcome to the Original Judo Podcast. I am James Austin and today I'm joined by, well, he's a Rio Olympian um, and yeah, a multiple British champion. It's Ben Fletcher. Hi Ben, how you doing? Hey James, how you oh, doing? good, thank you very much, mate. Um, I'm conscious that I start all the podcasts the same way by saying thank you very much for coming on. But I do mean it, and I, I really appreciate it. Um, without people agreeing to come on, there wouldn't really be a podcast. It would just be me moaning. Um, <laughs> so, I, yeah, genuinely, thank you very much for coming on. Um, All right, my pleasure, mate. Could you kind of tell us a little bit about you, who you are, um, and, yeah, how you got into judo, and then some of your career highlights? Yeah, okay. So, um, as you as you've said, my name's Ben. Um, <laughs> I'm um, originally from um, like a town called Wokenham, um, um, and I started judo at the Pinewood Judo Club. Um, so most of you will know that I've got an older sister who does judo, and uh, uh, she did judo. But I, I had three older half brothers as well, and um, people around Pinewood will all, all okay. know them, and um, they sort of did judo um, because um, my dad basically had three boys, are really boisterous and couldn't control yeah. him in a way so he's had to find somewhere to just uh, um, put their energy into so they'd calm down a little bit so somebody said oh, I'll take him to judo and um, so they did and th- when my dad had me and my sister he thought the natural thing to do would uh, to take us along and um, yeah you know we've not really looked back you know it's all, always been like sort of the focal point of sport for me I've done other sports and stuff and uh but judo's always been the main one that I've always loved. Fantastic. So you obviously started your career at Pinewood. Um, where are you now? Mm-hmm. Um, now, um, so I started at five years old. I'm now 25. Um, since then, I'm, like I went to the Olympic Games last year. Um, uh, some of my career highlights would be obviously going to the Games is a big one. I got a, a junior world bronze medal. Um, I've got some... Uh, World Cup medals under my uh, under my belt and uh, Grand Prix medal as well. And um, I'd like to think I'm sort of getting better all the time. And hopefully there's a, a bright future out there for me. Awesome! It sounds pretty good. And you you're training out of uh, Bath at the moment, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I'm training at the University of cool. Bath. Are you a student or are you? 
No, no, I'm, I'm not a student. No, I was, um, I've actually never been a student at the uni. It's, it's one of the, the few misconceptions about me. I, everybody sort of assumes that I did a course, which is quite nice because everybody assumes I'm quite intelligent. But um, I, I never actually did a course here. I, I, I moved down um, here seven years ago um, from Pinewood. I, I think it's a natural right. transition sometimes that, um, that um, people, you know, you get to a certain level in a, a junior club and then, maybe you want to take it a little bit further. So you, you have to move. And that was literally the exact same thing that happened with me. I was, um, I sort of got to 18 and I'd finished my A-levels and I, I felt I needed to move on and um, have sort of maybe better Randori, like different yeah. coaching and have sort of everything under one roof. And uh, um, Megan was already down here. She did a, did a degree and was training down here. So uh, I sort of thought I'd, I'd give it a year and see, see where I was at. And, uh, had the tiny little um, room that um, her and a couple of the other judo people were, were right. renting, which was a tiny okay. box room, which I stayed in and um, rented that for a couple of years. And yeah, the sort of the rest is history. Cool. So like even 18, you knew that kind of judo was something that you wanted to have a go at. and Yeah, it was, it was always like a big part of my life. Um, maybe because Megan was doing it as well, but like I, I did it from five and then, it's one of those things you gradually, with sport, you gradually take more and more seriously. You, um, you get into the England squad or the GB squad, and then you get some international or some national medals, and you know you sort of have to give more and more time to it. And I think by that sort of stage, you either it's one of those sink or swim things at that sort of age. You either want to give it yeah. a good go, or you sort of take the normal road and you sort of go out a bit more. You you either go to university or you you know you study or you find a job or you you know you don't do judo it's one of those sink or swim sort of times i believe so you obviously had your your junior career came to an end with a phenomenal world bronze medal is that is that something that started kind of instilling belief in you or was it something before then yeah well i I think a result like that is is definitely something that can sort of reaffirm some some self-confidence and some belief in yourself. Um, I, I'd done well through the junior year and like I, I was doing well, but I think if you get a result like that at the end of juniors, it sort of sends you really good stead to sort of make the bridge yeah. to seniors. And I think for heavier men, that might sometimes take a little bit longer. So it's one of those things that I think definitely for me, it's um, it stood me in good stead to sort of think like, you know, it might take a little while, but you can definitely get there in the end okay. and hopefully you know I will get there in the end and get to the sort of the the top right the top yeah, level yeah. where I want to be like I was in a junior to um, hopefully be there as a senior one day awesome so um coming off that junior world bronze is that 2011 yeah that was sort of November 2011 yeah, you um you have like nine months I think or six months maybe and selections for Olympics come round. Were you? Yeah. Well, for for guys who don't know, you were selected for the London Olympics, um, and then you mm-hmm. missed out on the selection. Um, do you want to just tell people what happened? Were you expecting it? That kind of thing. Yeah. So um, it's a really sort of funny story. Like, I wasn't. I mean, being a sort of twenty-year-old kid who just sort of just done uh the juniors the year before i 
I couldn't have been further from believing I deserved to go to a right. Olympic Games. Um, and I, I really, I really didn't believe that I was even in the running okay. at all. Um, like I, yeah, I, I just, I genuinely didn't believe that. Um, whether it was naivety on my part or whatever. Um, but I, I was, this is a completely true story and you can um, ask him about it. But I actually found out through um, a good friend of both of us, yeah. Tom Reed. He, um, so I don't know if you remember, but the, um, the selections were done the day after the British Open right. that year. And um, they, they put the selections out the, the next the I next do morning. remember. It was a... And I was just sort of, like, sort of, sort of just hanging around my mum and dad's house, you know, before going back to Bath. And I got this phone call from Tom just going wild over the phone, just saying, mate, I can't believe it. Congratulations. I was just like, you know, he, he couldn't say enough good things. And I was like, what is he right. about? I was like, I got seven about the British Open. Like, mate, what are you trying to rub it in? Are you trying to, you know? And um, he was like, mate, you don't know. I was like, no, I, I, I don't. And he was like, I think you should check your emails. And, you know, there it was written in an email. And, like, I genu- genuinely didn't didn't believe it oh, wow. and um, genuinely didn't believe I would have be anywhere near the selection. I, I, no one spoken to you in the run-up to that then? Um, not, not really. Like they, they, they had the, um, sort of, um, I, I think they called it like the Olympic squad where there was sort of four, three or four players in each way where, um, the people who were going to be going to the games could be selected from. Um, I was in that, but when you're in that with people who were like the seniors at the time who are doing quite well still, and they're sort of like big names, like, Winston Gordon, Matt Percy, they're, they're big names who are sort of duking out for the slot. And then all of a sudden, like sort of your name gets yeah. put in there like, over, over theirs. It was, yeah, like, like I grew up like looking up to those guys and, and then it's a very, very strange thing to be sort of selected over them when like, I'm 20, I was 20 years old, you know, like, and you know, probably quite a young yeah. 20 as well. Okay. Okay. So that, that's, that's May. Um, we're yeah. 10 weeks out from the games at that stage, maybe a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, what kind of happened yeah. next? Yeah, was... So from there, like, um, like I, I sort of, it's one of those things I, you know, you have to sort of get your head around things. And like I say, like I, it was sort of quite a, a lot of disbelief about it all, but, um, within sort of five or six days from there, we were going to be going to Japan. Yeah. So it was, uh. Well, we're going to Japan for two weeks and a career for one week, I believe. And um, so I sort of had to get my head around it and all that sort of thing. And then um, went out to sort of Japan and Korea um, to do that um, part of the, the training and sort of um, and that part of the prep, the preparation. Um, and then from there, I believe we were back for a week or two. And then we were going up to the... Um, there was a, a squad training where everybody was going to be tri- like the Olympic team yeah. were going to be there up in yeah. Scotland. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, that's when I got a phone call from Daniel Laskell to tell me that um, because of uh, an admit- administrative yeah. error on their part, um, I mean, pe- people had made appeals yeah. basically to my selection, which, which is going to happen because it's a home Olympic games, you know, there's people going to, they're gonna if they 
sort of thought they were going to be going to the games or any chance they could go to the games, they're going to appeal in a, se- yeah. a selection. Um, but because of a, an administrative error that had been made um, by the people working at the BJA at the time, they had um, I, I couldn't go because as soon as somebody appealed the selection, um, when people looked into it, they just sort of said, well, Ben hasn't actually got the the right criteria to actually be going to the game, so you can't actually select him. Oh, God. So... And and did you were you aware of that in the run in or there was like there was sort of whispers of it in the mm-hmm. background like so when I when I first got put forward I had um um they had sort of said like there's there's one or two things they need to just sort of clarify um, so essentially what it, the problem was is I hadn't um, which sounds really silly. Um, um, I hadn't actually attended two World Cup levels or above. I'd been to one World Cup that year, um, but I got injured uh, just after, like a little um, meniscal problem with my knee and had like a quick cough and came back. But then by the time the qualification had finished, I hadn't actually um, competed in two World Cups. So the absolute minimum uh, requirement to go to a, a Games is if, if you want to be selected for a home nation or a World yeah. Cup or anything, is to have um, to have attended two World Cup right, events. Okay. Um, so, so what um, British Judo tried to do is they tried to um, change, um, sort of bend the rules slightly and say, well, he went to the Junior Worlds and he got a medal. Is that good enough? So when they they first selected me, they, the things were still going through, but as time went on, I was sort of convinced that everything was fine. Oh, God. Um, but then obviously it, uh, it wasn't. Um, I, I will get on to. Um, no, no, we'll, we'll cover it now. So how coming out of that? How were you feeling? Um, yeah, well, you know, it's obviously a sort of a bit of a a big hit to the to to, to me doing judo. Yeah. You know, um, the the one of the worst things about it is that you sort of women Olympic games. Everybody sort of it's such a big thing and everybody's sort of so happy for you to be going to an Olympic Games and obviously I didn't really expect to be going and then especially it being home games everybody was so sort of behind and they were so happy and so happy for me to be going and then all of a sudden it's sort of taken away from you I was sort of I was just sort of left in limbo for quite a while and just felt like I was I didn't really know where to go and what to yeah. do um, and yeah, it was it was really sort of a difficult time. I didn't really want to be doing judo at the time. Sort of thought about giving up and stuff, oh, wow. and um, luckily didn't. Um, but yeah, it was it was one of those things. I I didn't really know what my next move was, and I'm always somebody who who has got sort of a plan and um, likes to have sort of a, a clear view of what they're trying to achieve. Yeah. And for the first time, sort of in my life or in my judo career, it was just sort of just sort of sort of cast out and I didn't know where I was what I was doing and yeah so how do you do you watch the Olympic Games how do you get your head around it at that stage how do you get back into training that kind of thing um so I actually took a week's holiday um the first week of the game so when the judo was on I just went on a family holiday to Spain um which I think was quite a good thing because I I love watching the games but I I really didn't want to sort of put myself through watching the judo um, and then sort of from there, just sort of set 
new goals with my coach Jurgen in Bath and just sort of, you know, said, like, look, it's it's not a good thing that's happened, but we can't let it, the bad things that have happened affect right. my future. So you know, it, it took it took a lot of time. And like I said, like when I first came back, I, I, I didn't really want to be there. I felt sort of I was going through the motions and didn't really know where I was coming or going or what what I was doing. But um, I managed to come back properly. And um, I think I, I moved up a weight category. And I think that sort of gave me new goals and new yeah, things yeah. to work on. And um, I think I, I competed in under 23 Europeans in like October, November right. that year. Uh, and that sort of gave me something to work towards. And I'd, like I said, I'd moved up a weight group. So... Yeah, I think things like that helped and then you sort of do better and better and sort of just sort of try and okay. progress. Um, well, I can't imagine how difficult that situation was because that's, that's a, that must be a fairly unique situation, having been told you're going and then um, not being able to make it but in, in those circumstances because um, before we do move on, like two, year, two years later, it's Glasgow Commonwealth Games and you yeah. end up with... I don't want to say you, you were about to become the nearly man of British judo, but you end up in a really, again, another situation where you're selected for what's a huge multi-sport tournament and um, mm-hmm. you didn't end up going. How how was that? What happened? Do you want to tell us? Yeah, so, um, so like, um, after the games, you know, so I said, like, I um, got my head back into judo and that sort of thing and, Glasgow was actually one of the things I used as a sort of a, a positive to sort okay. of aim for. Um, so like another home games, you know, it's, you know, maybe it's not quite the, the, the pinnacle of um, sport, but obviously the Commonwealth Games is still a yeah. massive thing. Um, another home games as well. So it was in the UK. So it was something to work towards. Um, um, but then like I, I, after that, I did all the uh, qualified um number one and you know um was, was gonna uh, represent uh england uh under hundreds but um in the last training camp in uh castle fells i dislocated my oh. kneecap i think it was three weeks yeah. before um three weeks before i was due to comp- compete in that and um yeah i actually um I, I thought it'd be all right um it's one of those things that i i think i knew deep down that i'd sort of I had hurt myself yeah. pretty badly, but you know we're, we're sort of a, a sportsman, a bit of a, a crazy, a crazy bunch. We sort of, um, I sort of thought, you know, I, I'd be able to strap it up or something, it'd be all right. But um, somebody who actually sort of helped me at the time, I, it sort of didn't feel that way. But uh, it was Sam, Sam Ingram was actually right. like, "Look, mate, you need to." Because um, I sort of was trying to fill my head with, you know, I'll, I'll get back. I'll, I'll you be know, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll soldier of, through it. And I'll, yeah. I'll, yeah, and I was sort of hobbling around this hotel. I could barely walk. And I remember Sam sort of saying to me, he was like, look, mate, like, you need to sort of be careful. You need to be aware that of what that, what you may have yeah. done and what you may, what the um, ramifications of that might be. And so, um, Neil uh, McLean Martin, the physio, yeah. sort of took the same home with me, and like every, it sounds sounds silly that everybody else was trying to be really positive and stuff, but I I think I knew deep down that it was it wasn't something good that I'd done, um, and I think everybody sort of assumed I'd done, everybody thought I'd done sort of ACL and probably LCL, right, okay. so 
so he's likely I was going to probably be out for a year, but it, it turned out to be um, uh, patella dislocation. Um, not quite as long an injury, but it's still a pretty yeah. severe injury. Um, um, but I mean, the long and the short of it is, it meant that I was going to miss the games. Oh, man. And, and so at that stage, you're 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 22, and you've been selected for two games and missed them both. How, w- what's the recovery yeah. like from that? Um, well, again, really difficult, mate. Um, like this this time, like. Like the the thing was with with London was, I I didn't really expect to be going, so it wasn't like I'd sort of got my hopes up that I was going, and then they sort of shattered. There was an element of that, but it was with Glasgow, sort of I, you know, I, I thought I could be one of the medalists, or you know, if I had a really good day, I could win it. You know, that's that was my sort of my mindset going into it, and so I've used the things yeah. before as a positive um, to sort of to do well, but then doing that again was is just sort of completely sort of devastating and um sort of from there like it's one of those things that I, I sort of I couldn't go too far away from sport which is probably a good thing because I was injured you know I had to go sort of through the physio and rehab process and I sort of was very close to getting it operated on and they were unsure whether they wanted to operate or just do rehab and I was luckily enough I just just had to do right. rehab um but so in a way that sort of kept me close to judo still um but yeah it was there was a lot of mental scars from those two things um which i don't know if they really ever fully heal but you sort of get over to them to a certain point and you sort of say like these things happen um and you've got to get through them um but yeah i I would say i'm i'm pretty much over it all now (laughs) um getting past but um but it's um it's one of those things it's it's never a nice thing to look back on yeah. in your life. Right. Tell me about it. I it, in regards to yeah, the comedy games you do, I, mate, I fully yeah. understand. And then yeah. uh, still in denial about uh I could I could still think I could make it. Make it back. Semi retirement, never never full retirement. Um <laughs> so um you're out for six months, nine months, and then you must at that point be starting to feel the pressure in in kind of terms of qualifying for Rio um were you expecting to to go to Rio what where where are you mentally when you get back into competition well I think I can't remember I well I wasn't actually out for that long because with a, a patella dislocation yeah. of any dislocation it's, it's sort of about strengthening the ligaments and everything around it so I think I was out for about was three it an months. awful lot of drama for for nothing <laughs> uh yeah but it, it's still like you know it's still like with with dislocations and stuff the problem is that if you don't strengthen enough it'll just keep right, happening okay. um so they wanted to make really sure that it wasn't going to yeah. happen again um so um yeah so after about three months they, they were pretty sure, certain that it's definitely not going to happen okay. again or it really shouldn't happen um so then from there i think my first tournament back was like the european cup in malaga um, and I got bronze. I, I, I you know, I, I didn't really fight that great, but it wasn't really about that. It's just about getting back um, into competition, getting back to the yeah. tournament. Um, then I think the next one after that, after that, sorry, I went to like, Japan and Korea for the Asian tour, and then fought the British Championships. Right. Um, I had an alright Asian tour. I, I beat um, 
Nidan, which is like a really big yeah, deal for yeah. me. Um, he's obviously a massive player in the hundreds, got two Olympic medals, and you know, so I had him first round in Tokyo. So the first time fight in Tokyo, I had the Olympic champion, and you know, it's quite a, quite a big yeah. deal. Um, so, so and then to beat him, like a beat him was Ari Ippon in the end, I think. So, um, so that was good, and then, um, I genuinely, I don't, I don't think at that point I was even thinking about the games. Like I just, because because of the stuff that had happened before, I was just trying to enjoy yeah. judo again. Um, I didn't want to sort of put too much pressure on myself because I know what can happen when you put, you've got those things on you, and then it yeah. doesn't happen. Um, so, um, so I think as things got better and as I did better, um, I think after the Grand Prix in Mongolia. I sort of I got my first Grand Prix medal. Well, it's my only Grand Prix medal at this point. Um, I think that's when I sort of started to believe that I could qualify, and that that was something I really, really wanted to go for. Like, obviously, the Olympic Games are always in the back yeah. of your mind, but because of the sort of stuff that had happened before, I really didn't sort of want to um, sort of put too much pressure on myself that if I didn't get to Rio, then you know my careers over or, or, or yeah. whatever you know can i can i ask if we go back a step like when you get back on the map back into competition are you are you yeah. conscious of your knee at that stage is it something that's in the back of your mind you're worrying about it or is it something that you you'd kind of done the rehab and you're someone who can forget that kind of thing um i, I can't quite remember i think um i think basically i i was very lucky to have the people around me that i did um, who were very sort of keen for me to do a lot of randori beforehand and basically made me feel that there was nothing wrong with my yeah. knee anymore and like sort of really sort of pushed that home like um, even like my S&C coach like it, it like in a way was sort of a bit brutal sort of saying like oh there's nothing wrong with you mate come on like get through the next set or something on squats or whatever I'm doing or and then when I'm on the mat as well with um, my coach Jürgen like sort of making sure that I felt absolutely no weakness and I wasn't mindful of my yeah. knee at all. I think I was I was nervous of the fact that it was my first tournament back after being injured, but I don't know if I was worried about my knee, really. Okay. Um, yeah. So then, um, at some point, you must have... Was it was it Mongolia, you said, where you realised that Olympic qualification was possible? Yeah, because I, I, I'd sort of... Before that, I'd, I'd done... I'd done alright. I'd beaten some like good players, but I'd sort of. I think I was sort of still off the back of doing well at Junior Worlds and stuff. I think people were still sort of expecting something yeah. to happen quite soon. And I'd got some sort of World Cup medals and bits and pieces, but I think that's quite an important point for me to sort of. And I had a really good day. You know, I did some good judo, and I. It was about a year out from the games. I think it was yeah. June, June 2015. So it was about a year out from sort of or 11 months out from the end of qualification. Yeah. So I knew that from there, um, I could hopefully really, really do something. Okay. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll fast forward again. Rio comes along. Um, and in the, what was getting that selection like and, and getting on the plane to Rio after what had happened before? Yeah, it, it was amazing. Um, I was like, I I I finally knew that I'd. Um, it's one of those things I sort of I sort of thought I should or I might do, but the way the qualification was, there were so many yeah. tournaments, and you couldn't possibly do all of them. So 
Um, the last tournament was the Masters. So I was actually on holiday when the Masters was on and I didn't know whether I was, uh, sorry, I was, I was on holiday just before right. the Masters. And I shouldn't have been selected for the Masters, but I might have gone down to the Masters. So it is sort of so close all the time. Oh, okay. And I actually found out I was, def- I was actually definitely selected when I was, um, I'd come back and was, or I definitely qualified, sorry, because of how um, it works at the Olympics. You, if you qualified and then Team GB after then officially right. select you. Um, so I, I, I knew I definitely qualified when I'd got back. Um, but in a way, it's a little bit hollow because I know, I, I knew, sorry, that I'd been selected for two right, okay. things before. So I, 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 not to take anything away from it, but um, I was obviously really proud of myself um, and what yeah. I'd achieved to get back and to qualify for an Olympic Games, which is obviously a massive thing. But it was very much so I, I didn't want to sort of start celebrating anything because I know what can happen if you do start, yeah. if you sort of think you're there and you're not. Um which unfortunately for me is, has happened a couple of times as we've, we've already said. Do you at that stage start collecting lucky rabbit's foots and four leaf clovers and or <laughs> no, man, I'm, I'm I'm half Irish, but I don't have any of those um <laughs> little little bit okay. of fixes. Uh, I um no I I I just tried to be honest with myself and just sort of say like these things have happened. They're not for a reason. I don't believe. They're they're just things that have ha- happened. They're unfortunate, um, but you can use them and sort of move on. I I didn't, but no, I didn't um, sort um, sort of um, have any trinkets or anything or sort of any um, weird bits and pieces that I do before I fought or anything like that. Yeah. Or no, nothing like that. So you <laughs> you get on the plane, you get to Rio, and you you I presume you look at the draw or at some point you look at the draw. Um, I want to talk a little bit about social media because it's one of the things that stood out for me and I don't know if you've brushed it off, completely forgotten about it, but um, when the draws were published, obviously you were drawn against um, Beaker, uh, the the Georgian boy who'd been 90 kilos and had um, been moved up to try and qualify the games. And Mm -hmm. I remember that Someone, I can't remember if it was on Twitter or on one of the Facebook forums, said that ah, oh, um, he thought Beaker was going to take a medal, and obviously you have him first round, and you. Yeah, I, I remember this. Like, yeah, quite you, you responded to I, it. I, 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 it was um, yeah, well, it was um, it was. I, I'm sure he won't mind me saying it. it was James Miller had said that, and I know James, and I know he wouldn't have meant anything yeah. by it. He, I'm sure he just hadn't seen the draw and you know like I'm being honest like Becker was one of the the favorites for well not one of the favorites but he's, he's one of the people you'd put your money on because he'd moved up and he'd had like sort of blasted through qualification from basically the start of the year he um from the start of the year to the end of qualification he'd won a grand slam in Olympic year beating all the top yeah. players and he's a very dangerous judo player so if you're going to put your money on somebody who's an outside chance, you know, if you're a better man, you're going to put yeah. money on him. Um, and it just happened to be that um, Jig maybe hadn't, hadn't look, looked at the drawers or something and just sort of put that up there. I'm obviously friends with James yeah. on um, on Facebook, but I, I didn't take anything right, okay. um, seriously from it, mate. I, I, I know James and um, 
that I know he's not malicious yeah. or anything like that. But he 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 would have, he would have just he just wouldn't have realised. To be honest, you know? I'd forgotten it was Jake uh, James. Um, I just yeah. it was more that. Um, did you did you kind of try to stay off social media? Is it something that then affected? Like, is it something that stayed in your head? Um, do you start to then worry about your draw, or had you already seen your draw and started to prepare? No, I'd already seen my draw. I always, um, my view on the draw is that, like, I, I used to sort of not see it for like the day before. For I don't even really know why. It's just it's just what I, I used to do. But then somebody, um, somebody just came up to me one day in Dusseldorf and just sort of said, "Oh, you've got a tough draw." Right. You? <laughs> and I sort of, and then you go, "Oh shit, who have I got?" Um, and you go, "Oh, okay, um, I'm gonna have to look now." But um, so now I always look at the draw as early as possible because ultimately my view is that you, you're not going to change yeah. it. You're not going to change who you've got. And it just allows you more time to mentally prepare for who you've got. And ultimately, ultimately, I prepared the best I possibly could. And I knew going into the games, I'd be in some very good people. Um, I know I wasn't favorite at all, um, but I, I, I knew I could compete at that level and, if it was to be him, then that's who it was to be, you know. Um, yeah, that was that was just my view on it. Um, so I saw the draw. I know it wasn't a nice draw, you know. If if I'm, I'd be lying if I say I wouldn't have preferred an easier first fight, but that's that's who I had. That's who the draw dealt me, and you know that's, that's yeah, how it goes, mate. It's the Olympic Games. Like, there's not many people there that you'd say in yeah. in, in other tournaments. There's not many people there you'd say, oh, I'd like him first fight. But it's the Olympic Games, so you're going to get right. someone. So, yeah, completely understand. And and who wants to who wants to like like, for, like other people? You know, they, they could be different. But like the why I do judo is the the challenge behind it. I I find it very difficult, and I'm sure everybody does. Um. So who wants to win an Olympic medal? Um. Not beating the best players, you know, yeah. like. That's one of the, the main things about like if you look at um, Fabio Vasili, yeah, yeah. he beat everybody in the way. He there's no sort of easy draw, and he sort of like nicked past one person on a dodgy decision, and then you know, he beat everybody. He you know he like just destroyed everybody yeah. all day. Um, and like for me, like if I was hopefully if I can or if I if I was to win an Olympic medal, I'd, I'd want to beat the best people along the way. Um, <laughs> That, that, yeah. I, I'd love to beat the best people along the day but um, I'll be honest if it was to win an Olympic yeah. medal and then some of those people got injured and other people went through I'd happily fight them as well um, uh, but, but would it not be in the back no no do you know what I'd be <laughs> biting that medal in the pictures and, and that kind of thing and uh, going yeah when you're spraying the champagne <laughs> no, you don't mind exactly. <laughs> um, looking back on it now so, are you pleased with your performance? Have you got any regrets? Um, I've actually never seen okay. the fight, um, which may seem a bit strange, but I, I can't get a copy of it from anywhere. Oh, okay. um, so, yeah, I, I've not actually been able to see the fight back, um, which, you know, is quite um, not, not the best because I, I would like to see it and I like to see how I fought on that. Um, and it's one of those fights that it was a bit of a blur as well. So, um I would like to see it back at some point. Um, if if anybody's got a copy of it who's listening, please send no it to worries. me. Um, <laughs> but um, 
yeah, like it, it's one of those things that it's um I had to look back on it and sort of say oh, I wasn't one of the favourites. So I I know I I truly gave everything um in regards to preparation and sort of went out there with a, a clear mind of just gonna give it my best and try try my absolute best and I, I think that's what I did and um yeah, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the result I wanted at all, but um that's that's not how life works, I'm afraid. So what happens next? Um uh, yeah, obviously after so that from, what yeah, what were what were the next days like? What are the next months like? What happens? Um so the next few few days and stuff, um I was in the village. Um I, I think there's always gonna be an element of relief after a big build up to a big tournament okay. like that. Massive there's big big disappointment but you've sort of built up to something and it's an achievement to it is an achievement to sort of qualify and uh, go to the games and I did feel somewhat empty afterwards that you sort of built up to this massive thing and all of a sudden it was done and then sort of in the the village and stuff you just sort of left your own sort of devices to what you want to do and everything up to that point was so structured and then I I was sort of like right what now almost um and yeah, that's just just how it was. But then a couple of days, and you sort of start uh, looking at different things to go to and and whatnot, and what what you want to do. And um, so I had a really good time in the in the games afterwards. And after that, I had a a month off where I just sort of I went on a little holiday with my yeah. family and just I um a lot of people sort of wanted to go traveling and do bits and pieces along the lines of that. But I um. I, I'd been away so much and I had to do so many tournaments. So I literally just wanted to be at home for a bit. So I just sort of spent time catching up with friends and seeing friends that I hadn't been able to sort of see that much before the games and in the build-up. So um, I just sort of had a month at home or between home and bath just seeing friends and like doing bits and pieces of sort of exercise yeah. and whatnot. And um, I sort of did a bit of wakeboarding. I know somebody who's... Uh, who's he's got a boat on a lake so he did a bit of wakeboarding just just some fun Brilliant. pieces um just yeah just just you know when when else you get the chance to do that you know so um so i did that for a bit and then sort of after that just sort of had a, a really sort of strong three month um sort of strength uh block and sort of just working on every bit bit of my game up to the british championships at the end yep. of last year um and uh Putting a good performance and one, and then um, started this year um, with some international tournaments, and that's nearly where we're up to okay. now. So you finished the year, you're British champion, you've been to the Olympics as, as British number one, um, and the program changes following the Olympics, mm-hmm. um, and they move like the British performance program changed. They moved toward this centralised model with with Warsaw as the hub. Um, kind of what are the conversations mm-hmm. that you have at that stage and then, and and what are you saying what are your thoughts on that um so i mean everybody had sort of known like i they 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 knew that um people uh that the 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 program was going to be centralized right. off the game it was sort of it was sort of semi centralized beforehand um there was, you could sort of train outside and get funding and selections if you were a certain level etc but then everybody knew that sort of after the games it was going to be sort of a blanket policy if you were sort of at the center you're going to get invested in if you weren't you weren't going to unless you qualified for sort of 
a Europeans, Worlds, and Masters, or ultimately in Olympic right. Games. Um, so it's sort of uh, either um, move to the games and be funded, or um, or, or don't. <laughs> I don't really agree with centralising. Um, um, okay. Just for a, a few re- main reasons, but then I think that trickled down trickles down um, into other things. Um, obviously, there's a big debate about it, it not just our country. Um, another uh, good example is in the Netherlands at the moment. There's a, they've recently centralised, and um, there's been some big yeah. uh, sort of revelations recently between um, the Dutch Judo Federation and Jules Fransen, the 57 girl who sort of had a court case. She won a court case against them, so so that she's allowed to train where she wants, and they can't necessarily stop her from doing that. Um, Right, so right. Um, my, my main view on centralization, or if you uh, our country as an example, so I believe if you centralize in one place that you cut mm-hmm. off the, the structures which fund the system in a way, not, not necessarily in terms of finance, but in terms of players. So if you take, if okay. you take um, say, three, three centers, like Camberley, Bath, and Edinburgh as examples, um, so those centres have played British judo with players for years. And if you centralise a programme, those centres aren't really going to have the, the ability to bring those players through. Or, or, right. or in, my, in my view, those, those places will gradually be tried to phase, be phased out because they won't have the players at the top level to... Um, to sort of bring players through behind them um so if you take if you basically I, I believe if you take the top players and just put them in one one place it sort of cuts yeah. it cuts off the um like i say the the support structures around that i think it, i think it, it's yeah. it's like a a chain effect which from that will then sort of cut back players that are coming through the system um so yeah. it erodes the I guess stability and strength of those kind of yeah, and it it, it other centres yeah, and th- those those things I believe are what what keeps the country strong. You know, you need the the competition okay. within the country, and you need as many people doing judo as possible. Um, well, that, 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 that's my view. So, if you have a centralised program with set, like the money going to a select few players, the players who are outside of that, they don't really have a lot to work for. Um, and also to try and fund that themselves um, is very difficult. Um, so yeah. if people have got to work alongside it, they're not necessarily um, being able to give everything they can to the sport. So gradually, after a few years, those people won't be doing judo anymore. And like like I say, yeah. we don't have a we don't have a league or anything like um, other places do. So if you take the German Bundesliga, that's something that people have where it keeps them within the sport. And we, we don't have that, unfortunately. So, yeah. so um, there's not a lot of reason for people to say within the sport if they're, if they're not, if they can see that the money's being given to a certain group of people, um, then there's not really any incentive for those people to, to stay on. And that also means that they, you know, there's less and less people within British judo. Okay, so it's kind of what you're saying though is that the um, the idea of centralisation with one centre is going to be too much of a, I guess, a that that cuts. Yes, off that's what I believe. Funding. Yeah, so because no, sorry, go I was going to say because 
um, people would obviously argue that places like Bath, Judo, Scotland, mm-hmm. and Camberley are in themselves like, I guess, smaller versions of a centralised system. Yeah. You, you, you've come from another club to move yeah. there. Um, so, like, I guess, the, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I guess the con- concept of centralisation in of itself is that you need, what you're saying is you need kind of these other centres around the country to be strong, to feed into mm-hmm. one system. Yeah, I, I've got... But if you don't have... Yeah, I've got no um, problem with, like, a central vision, a central goal. Like, so... So okay. I completely believe that that is the 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 job of the performance staff. So they come up with yeah. the ethos, they come up with the idea of w- the direction that everybody should be going in. They select the players because they think X, Y, and Z about them. They think they've got potential to get a medal down the line and ultimately yeah. hit the medal targets that we're supposed to get. Now, from that, I don't understand why it's not possible for players to train in a different environment, as long as it's shown to provide them with the best training and yeah. and ar- allow them to have the um, have the best, like or be able to produce the results. I, I I don't understand why that's not a a feasible option. Um, and then I think I think ultimately it comes down to money sometimes. But I think it's it's one of these things where if somebody has been in a system for a certain amount of time and it's doing well and all of their results are coming from that. I don't understand why it's a good idea to change that. I know it's, it's in some ways seen as a long-term view, but I don't understand yeah. why that is seen to be better than having a, a broad system which feeds in low players. Right. It drums up competition within the country as well. And I believe that's that's the best way of doing it. You know, I, I, I don't understand why having one one place where you know where players will will go to, um, or like the one percent players will go to. I don't understand why that's a good idea because those those players once they're once they're there, they, it cuts off the like like I say, it cuts off the ties for other other players and. You lose the training partners. You, you, you lose training partners. You lose, lose everyone around them. Yeah. Like everyone who might be a three, a four, a five, a six in the country. Yeah. Where does their incentive go if um, the only place you can train to be number one is at Warsaw? Mm-hmm. Um, everywhere else is going to be like so. Scotland. I think the focus there is under twenty-three. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're out with that, where where is their left? And and and, and you, mm. yeah. Those players have been almost forced out of duty yeah. because the facilities won't be there for them. Yeah, and I mean, in, like some people may argue that those players they're not likely to be Olympic champion or something, but they're the players which are going to help the the other players to get yeah. there. Um, and otherwise, you have the situation where you don't have any players in the country, and you constantly have to go to a, a, go abroad to get the randori. And I just don't see that as a long term plan. Um, yeah. For a country trying to plan for the future, you know, I, I believe that's sort of a quite a, a one or like a, a very short term goal to try and get a medal or something, but it's not actually a long term yeah. plan for down the line. And I, th- I think I think okay. that's happened with Dartford, and I hope it doesn't happen now. But I believe that's something that could happen. So obviously, the British judo. 
program. Uh, my understanding is that this idea of centralization and this current kind of yeah, structure is aimed at 2020 Olympics. I don't know if 2024 was included in the plan, but certainly is aimed at getting the group of athletes they've got there to get medals mm-hmm. at Tokyo 2020. Yeah. Is that something you see happening? Or um, do you see, following from 2020, do you see, again, the folding of another centre? Um, I, I don't know, because oh, I'm, I'm not there a lot myself, but what I think is it should be, like, definitely you should be thinking about 2024 as well. You can't just think one cycle at a time. And yeah. people, people there will probably be saying, well, we've been thinking about this since, since London, but is there a long-term vision where there's players coming through so if I give you an example, um, I don't know if it's the same for you, but when I first went full-time, it t- took me a long, long time to get to the level where I could train full-time because in our country, we start yeah. so much later in like a full-time environment. So yeah. those players who are coming through now, who are, who are likely to be ready for 2024, have got to be sort of ready now. And I don't see that there's loads of players at the moment who who are going to sort of fall into the system at Warsaw and be ready. Do you know what I mean? The, the players, it's got to be yeah. a constant stream of players coming through to feed the system, to which I don't believe we've got at the moment. Um, which which yeah. the only way I believe you can do that is by having a large amount of players coming through the system. Which okay, some will fall by the wayside, um, but you've got to try and have as many players in the system as possible to allow that to happen. Yeah. I mean, if you take France, for example, like I was there a few weeks back and I was training at NF, which is not the, not <coughs> the highest, um, like INSEP is the number one place to train where sort of the one okay. to four train. And then NF yeah. is where the clubs and like some of the other players go. And there was still a hell of a amount of people on the mat. Like, and they're not, not, some aren't even in the top 10 and they're all still very, very good players. So in France, you know, you, you can have some players fall by the wayside. But in the UK, we don't have those players and we can't allow those players to sort of fall by the wayside. Um, yeah, and, I mean, that's just my view, think, yeah. No, to be honest, I think you're right. I think I don't... I understand the arguments is that we don't have enough players for them to be training separately. But I think what you've just said is um and what you've just described is exactly what could happen is if you start eroding the like basis of a, a camberley a, mm. a bath of scotland where's the next generation going to come a, yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah, where, you where end up it? with a weaker yeah. pool of players mm. and um like you say you then focus on smaller and smaller numbers of players you then have to travel abroad mm. as perhaps we are doing at the moment mm. um but I think once you've eroded those other clubs, it's, it, it probably becomes very difficult to come back from that. Yeah, but I think as, at the moment, whilst we still have those clubs or the strong clubs historically who have got coaches who know how to bring players through, you have yeah. you have to find some way of supporting them and keeping them some way in the system to, and say, yeah. like, look, you are valued. Like, we, we need you. Like, we ultimately, we need you as much as you need us. And it's one of those things where we... Like British judo needs those places, and those places need British judo. It's a very mutual relationship. Um, yeah. But there's got to be some give and take. It can't just be this is a this is a way and nothing else. There's got to be some some yeah. middle ground, you know. 
yeah, I think again potentially. I, and I don't know if they've tried it before, if it's something they consider. But I know, I know Scotland were coming. If there was a coming together of players, maybe um, two days a week you had to be at the centre, or um, one week a month, yeah. or something like that. You know, it's it's a compromise. You're still spending a huge amount of time in your home structure, and then you're mm. bringing to people together for a considerable amount of time. Yeah, um, and and then you bring together more of a team. You know, you bring you. You know, a, a compromise, of, I believe, is just what, you know, what people would want. You know, you British judo needs people to be training at the centre a certain amount, but yeah. also people, people, not everybody wants to be in the same environment, and I think that's just people. You know, some people, you know, necessarily, I, I can't use a, any person for an example, but the environment in Cambly would work perfectly for some people, for other people, not necessarily. It could be the same for Bath. You know, it could be. Not not every environment is going to fit everybody, but yeah. if you have it so that the the people who are running the system say, you know what, guys, like our, our hands are tied in some ways, but if you could give us two days a week or a week a month or something like that, then there's a compromise. If it's just a blanket policy, I think that's really quite a. It, it doesn't help anybody really. Um, yeah, yeah I, I and I just believe that. It, it will eventually erode away and kill off the the other places which has supported, and also where you've got experienced coaches and really good environments where people can can serve the system. Ultimately, I, I mean, I'd, I'd be interested to hear um, from other sports. So um, I know, obviously, our model's perhaps potentially built on cycling model mm-hmm. um but taekwondo has a variation of a centralized system however their um their kind of team g pro- team gb program is separate from their ngb so they're the okay. like separate organization um and as such you still get players training outside that who are able to qualify in olympics and i think mm. in london you had the two guys who the um, aaron cook and Latola mohammed thing Yes, um, and I think, again, like either athlete in that situation probably could have gone because both of them were phenomenal athletes. You had a guy who could win yeah. world championships and you had a guy who went on to get Olympic bronze. If there mm-hmm. was no Latala Mohammed, then Aaron Cook goes to the Olympics. It's not ruled out that he can't qualify the Olympics. Um, yeah. But the fact is you get two like really high-level athletes. Yeah. So obviously their centralized system is working in a different way. Mm. Um, I think. Yeah, so I'm, I'm interested here. How yeah, the... and I think there are there are different um, sports just do it differently, and like boxing is obviously very good, and that's a centralized program. Yeah. But then also you have you have gymnastics, which isn't centralized. You know, and yeah, yeah. I was quite shocked to hear that, and I was speaking to a couple of the guys at the games about that. I was speaking to Christian Tomlinson about it, and. Okay. They, like I say, have a um, have a um, sort of where you go to Lillyshaw a certain amount of time, and then you go back and work with your own coach and bits and pieces like that. And I know athletics is very different again, whereas I think they have tried to centralise and it never quite works. Right. Um, and then I, I know of some centralised programs which work really well, like in Buff, we have the Bob Slay and Bob Skeleton programs, yeah. but. Is, they're very different sports as well, so I believe it, it's got to be very much tailored to the sports, um, and you know, I, no two sports are the same. That's 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 what I think is the biggest problem with it all. 
Yeah, it's interesting. No, thank. I, I think it's brilliant. I think um, I'm I'm a good audience because I know I've, I've spoken to several people about the centralization mm. on the podcast, and yeah. everybody's won me over with their arguments. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I mean, so I, 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 yeah, I do think you make some really valid points. I do worry about the strength of those other clubs, and I, and I think that would be a concern. Yeah, and you know, uh, yeah, I mean. Maybe I'm just setting my ways or something, and I like where I like to train, and I'm being stubborn. But it's one of those things where I believe it's a point of view where you have to, you kind of have to sort of see both sides, and there's value to keeping those other places sweet as well. And you know, and have to look, you know, like we're saying for 2024, those players have to be ready before the games to, mm-hmm. to be meddling to qualify, and and. Yeah at that level yeah, yeah. if you take the best players and the best players in the world the French say the Russians and Japanese the players for the next games are already winning top level medals they're not going to the games but yeah. they're already of the level and then they've got four years to, yeah. and they'll win X amount of medals in that but we're sort of it always feels that we're a little bit behind and we're not quite having the players yeah. ready for the next one if you know what I mean they, the, those players have got to yeah. be they're ready and hopefully two or three in each way to, to do that. I'm not saying that we'll always be able to do that, but surely that's the end goal that we're trying to aim for. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously um, the performance team are worrying about performance. Yeah. That's their end goal. But um, Sam, I, I think, kind of said it as well. Mm. Like, at some point, it's got to be about athlete and what's in the athlete's best interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And whether that's, you know in terms of judo but also in terms of like lifestyle yeah yeah you know um and like not every yeah. not everybody's gonna be happy in the same environment you know some some people come from that area and they're going to be very happy there other people just aren't and i think neutralizing trying to neutralize people is just it's just not a good policy for for the, the whole future of everybody and sometimes i believe like the centralizing image just it's quite a romantic image where you sort of go oh let's get everybody under the one the one roof and it's yeah it's going to benefit everybody but when you really look at all the ins and outs of it i i just don't see it unfortunately and yeah it's just not one for me i'm i'm not necessarily somebody who's for it but and um again for the guys who don't know um where are you training now uh, so I'm at the University of Bath, so I train outside of the uh, the centralised programme. So I've been in Bath the, the last seven years and sort of really rate the programme we, that we have yeah. here. Um, so obviously I wanted to stay here if I could, um, and I'm finding the ways to, to do awesome. that. So uh, when are we going to see you competing again next? Um, so I'm next going to be competing uh, next weekend in the Russian Grand Slam. And, and, and again, so that's something you had to self-fund. Yeah, yeah. So um, every, everything that I do now is is self-funded. Right. Okay, okay. Um, so, well, well, actually, like if like I say, if you go to a, a Europeans, a Worlds, a Masters, or Olympic Games, uh, then it's paid for. Um, but everything else, well, squad squad training is paid for for me. Um, but everything else, every other tournament, every ever camp, if I want to do it, you know, um, training day to day, it's all uh, I all have to I have to pay it myself. Okay, so um, I'm assuming you're starting to prepare for Olympic qualification for Tokyo how mm-hmm. does that 
and I, I know you're going to say finance, it means I can go to less tournaments, but what does that do to your preparation for Tokyo? What, what does it change? How does it change your uh, maybe competition calendar or your training calendar? Um, well, like you, you touched on it there financially, but what I, what I would say my main focus is on is preparing the absolute best I can for the tournaments that yeah. I do do, um, in the way that I think is yeah. best. Um, um, so then when I, I pick out the certain tournaments that I, I think are the best for me at the right time for me, uh, along with my coach and the, the staff that I work with here, I know they're sort of at the best time for me, um, when I, when I would like to fight and it's sort of the level I like to fight. Um, and then, you know, I've, I put a lot of my own money into it. Um, and you know, in Bath, we don't have a lot of money, so it is my own money or, um, money that yeah. I've worked for. So I I put that in. Um, so I really want to do well at that tournament. So um, so yeah, um, it's it's going to be one of those things that is, is a financial toll. But um, it's more the, the fact that I, the tournaments that I do do, I really want to do well okay, at. Okay, cool, cool. Well, um, good luck. I'm sure everybody wishes you every every success. Um, yeah, thank you. Just, um, I noticed as well, the last few weeks or months, you've been fighting for a Swiss team. Yeah, so how mm-hmm. does, just how does that work? Like, I was, uh, again, lucky enough towards the end of my career um, to fight once for a, a German team in the German leagues. It's something similar, because it was, an, again, it was an amazing experience. It's a great um, way to show yeah. judo, I think. Um, they get fans coming yeah. in. It's like a two-hour, it's like a Sunday league football match. It's something you go in, you you do it for a couple of hours. It's not a full day. It's not something you have to commit a weekend to. Um, and then everybody kind of goes and has a, a great time afterwards. And then the next fixture is a few weeks later. So is it, is it something similar in yeah. Switzerland? Yeah, I, 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 it's not to the same level as the Bundesliga. I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't say. And I don't think anybody would sort of um, be upset with me saying that. But I think it's definitely an up-and-coming yeah. league. Um, I got into it through a friend of my sister's who... Um, who works closely with one of the teams out out there? Um, I, I fight for a team called uh, Cotillard um, Neuchâtel, which is in the French part. It's about an hour from uh, Geneva. And um, that, that was good pronunciation. I'm not going to try and repeat that. <laughs> the first time I tried to, I failed miserably. <laughs> so it, it's just it's just from people. Um, it's, yeah, like I say, it's just from being around the people who, who uh, pronounce it. So yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's only been a positive thing for me. Um, it's very similar to the Bundesliga as as well. So you um, you get the, the 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 fights against whoever, whichever team. Um, it's a seven man team, and you fight the the opposite the opposition team right. twice. Um, but yeah, it is a really good fun thing. It's like it's a shame that we don't have something like that in yeah. this country. Um, and I think it's one of those it's one of those things that players who aren't necessarily the like the highest international players. Um, it gives them a reason to want to carry on doing judo, and I think in our country at the moment we've got we haven't got that many people staying around. And one of those things is that we need is training yeah. partners, and nobody wants to be classed as a training partner almost, and it's sort of disrespectful to call people training partners. But people want to stay in judo and stay at a, high, a, a decent enough level. And if you have a league like that, then people want to stay in, and there's the social side of it yeah. as well. And I think it's just a, a positive thing for people. Um, 
So yeah, I, I think it's just a positive thing, and if if we could get one going in this country, it, it could only be a good. Awesome. Thing. Well, again, I think it's a great idea. I, I only ever fought once. Um, only ever had that opportunity once, but it was. Who did you um? Who uh, did you fight for? It was you and team. I should really. I want to say Esslingen. Esslingen. Yeah, Esslingen, was, yeah. And again, they, they were fantastic, oh, cool. and um. I was only called in because I think they had a couple of injuries and really struggling for players, but it was it was a brilliant experience and they really look after you. There's a huge, like you said, that social side and there were players. Yeah, I I fought as well. I fought for Russell. Oh, okay, before. yeah. So um, so yeah, it's, no, it is a really good, really good, uh, um, really good. Atmosphere. Well, there were two players on the team that I'd fought as juniors um, and under 23s who'd retired from international judo, like maybe five. 10 years ago previously to when I fought yeah. and again this this still competing at it's it's a it's a great level um and it was great yeah, to definitely. see them but um it, it's like you say it kind of keeps that attachment it gives an outlet for for people um similar to I guess to Sunday league football it keeps you in competition and but you, you're not committing mm. a whole weekend as you would for an English Open which I think is a great kind of format yeah, and it, it's it's definitely yeah. competitive, and it's it's something. The thing is, it's something for people to train for, um, and you get those those people. Then there'd be then more people in, I don't know, the club for whoever the team they're fighting for, and there's a bit more sort of pride and a bit more the, the social side of it is 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 great as well. And that if you say like um, like rugby clubs yeah. as well, how many how many people stay stay in rugby clubs and that until. I don't know early early forties or late thirties, and they want to they want to keep that's playing. And they rugby. get their families and involved. They, and... Yeah, they get their families involved, and there's a lot of interest. Like, how big is rugby? I'm not just saying that's the reason why rugby's so big, but if you have more people doing it and more people around yeah. judo, then the sport's going to grow. There's going to be more people turning up at the British Championships. That you know, there's going to be more people showing an interest when person people are on TV or more demand for it to be on yeah. TV. And I think it can only be a, a, a positive thing, you know. Cool. Well, I, again, I think it's a great idea. So if anyone is listening who's also thinking that, um, like, give it a go. <laughs> um, I'm, yeah. Um, I've got I've I've got a lot on. I can't I can't be looking at that kind of stuff. And I'm sure you've got a lot on as well, Ben. It needs <laughs> someone who's inspired and got a bit of time, I think, sort something out. Yeah, and, and money yeah. as well, which is the unfortunate. Definitely. Just throw a load of money at you. <laughs> uh, well, that would be, I think that's every judo player's dream. I can't see it happening anytime soon. Yeah. Um, all right, I'm going to, we're coming to the end, so I'm going to ask you some of my uh, my stock questions that I love to to ask everybody, if that's okay. okay. Um, so I'll, what's your favourite fight um, or, or fighter? And if you could give me your favourite fight, of your own that kind of represents you like one you're most proud of and then also a fight that you remember watching either when you're younger or recently that you think yeah that that is a great example of judo okay cool so um for me one of my favorite fights i've i've sort of been in myself was last year at the european championships um i had an absolute war with um elkan mamadov who's uh, been an absolutely massive player. He's been world champion. He was European champion yeah. this year, and sort of had like a really close fight with him. Was sort of really tit for tat the whole way, and um, managed to sort of catch him in golden score. And 
for, for me, like I, I'm not one of the biggest hundred kilo players. So net, what I normally have to do is sort of stay with those sort yeah, of players yeah. who are really dangerous, big and explosive. So I have to sort of stay with them and um, try not to get caught for the first couple of minutes and then sort of then start to really put the pressure on. Um, so then like my coach, Jürgen, will call it the grind. They so see sort of grind yeah. down. And it sort of, that that was completely my game plan and completely what I wanted to do in the fight. And I sort of had to get off a few close throws. And just one time I sort of, um, he caught me completely. And just, I landed, I think, on my bum and like my two elbows, which I think now would be a score, but it wasn't at the time. And just, just got off the score. And then managed to throw him for rip on um, with quite a nice bit of judo in, in golden score, which put me into the quarterfinals. Um, so, yeah, I think for me, that was, that's that was uh, something that stands out. There's there's probably some more good ones, hopefully. Um, but then, um, yeah, no, that one s- sort of sticks in the memory. Um, and then what what was the other ones? So um, so um, yeah, a, a, something yeah, a, a fight that you think wow, that's yeah, that was an amazing fight. Ooh, um, there's 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 a few there's um one's fresh in the memory because it's been sort of circling around on social media but I was there at the time and I I remember how sort of like how the crowd were reacting and how the atmosphere in the room was and it was um Pollock uh Golan Pollock the Israeli guy versus uh Zantaria, who's like they're both fantastic junior yeah. players and uh, they were com- just completely um engaged like the, the entire time just trying to throw each other for rip on every exchange and just massive exchanges um both coaches got sent off it like um and the, the, literally the crowd was just like with it like just like they couldn't care who was on the other mats and they were just literally trying to throw each other massive every exchange and i think it was a wazari that had it but there could have been 50 upons in the match and um when when where's it from again yeah it's from um the world championships in astana in 2015 um, and it was sort of, um, yeah, it's, it's quite a busy stadium as well. And it was just two people absolutely just going for it. And yeah, it was just, it was just a great fight awesome. to watch. Um, cool. Um, I will, I'll make sure I stick that up on the, on the web, um, on the webpage. Um, I think I, I always try and mention a fight that I, um, absolutely loved, um, as well, and yeah. I think the final of uh, Beijing sixty kilos, which was Choi versus Paisha. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I think that whole day Choi had been an absolutely lightning player, leagues yeah. ahead of everybody else, um, mm. and I think he beat Paisha in like the space of a couple of minutes. Um, yeah. But it was the it was the ease that he walked through everybody on the day, the apparent ease that kind of stands out with me. And and, and that final again, Paisha's been I think double European champion. He's he's been a world medalist. He's um he's an incredible competitor. And 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 for for me, it was just an example of how phenomenal Choi was at that that time. And it's a again, it's a great fight to to watch. So again, yeah. And also the aftermath of it, because uh, Choi sort of burst yeah. into tears, which you know, I imagine most people would if they won the Olympic gold medal. But then I met, I remember like how um, sort of Pacia sort of consoled him and sort of con- congratulated him as okay. well. Okay. 
which was really nice. Um, but then I heard afterwards, um, Pacer was sort of held in like really, really high regard in um, North, uh, sorry, not North, <laughs> um, in, in South Korea. Uh, oh, wow. That. Um, just just because of, sort of the grace that he, he took it with and how how nice he was afterwards and sort of, um, I think it's something rare, rare you see in sort of the, the final Olympic Games where you sort of get, I, I don't mean to be, be rude to him, but he sort of got blown away by um, by showing that fight um, and then have the sort of the humility to sort of congratulate the person afterwards and sort of say, um, you know, well done and sort of congratulate them on something which is ultimately their life's yeah, work. Yeah, that is pretty amazing. I didn't know that, but that's cool. That's why I've got you on here, Ben, for the, the, the little stories. <laughs> Um, cool. So, um, what's one bit of advice that you've been given, um, that you'd like to pass on to an athlete in your, uh, a young athlete now, if you could pass on one bit of advice, what would it be? Um, okay. So it's, it's a really, um, you hear it all the yeah. time, but it's just to be honest with yourself. There is n- nobody who you can kid everybody else, but inside yourself you cannot kid yourself you know how you feel or you that you you skip something or you didn't do something properly or you should have done something a different way um and things like that are fine like but as long as you sort of you learn and you know what you're supposed to do and if you if you're honest with yourself and you say look okay you know I, i didn't really want to do that today or whatever and you know next time but the the thing is to just be honest with yourself and do things for the right reason. Um, so, so I, I just say, I, I say it to young people all the time, just sort of say like, look, um, just be honest with yourself. Like you, you're not going to kid yourself. You know, you, you know, you know, and ultimately you get sort of one go around at sport. And if you're sort of kidding yourself along the way, um, you know, you, you're going to look back and think, why on earth did I do that? You know, you know, so that that would be my piece of advice, just to be completely honest with yourself. And although it it's difficult, especially sometimes after you fought something, when the emotions are sort of riding high, um, it's one of those things that you sort of got to sort of really look at yourself and say, like, no, look, that wasn't right. This wasn't. Right. I I've I've had to do it recently myself. Like sort of in the Europeans, like um, I, I had quite a close fight with Lipitiani, and I'm sort of you know. My coach had sort of told me one thing, and for a few days, I was sort of like, sort of really not happy with sort of what he'd said, and I didn't think it was true. And then when I sort of like looked back at it and sort of with a cool head and was trying to be really honest with myself, I, I knew he was right. Um, I didn't like the fact that he was right, yeah. but it's you know it's just about being completely honest with yourself, and if you're not, you're not really going to get the full the full benefits of what you're trying to do. Okay. You know? No, that's, that's great. I think that's, that, that's a really good message uh, to send to people. Um, yes. Cool. Right. Uh, literally last, last things. Is there anything you're, you're promoting at the moment? Um, are you, you doing master classes? Are you looking for sponsors or charities, anything like that? Well, yeah. If, um, if somebody wants to sponsor me, that would be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, um, so like like you've heard, I'm 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 not trying to sell you a sub story. I'm I am a self-funded athlete. Um, I am very very happy to to do master classes or coaching or any. I, I believe I'm quite competent at it. Um, 
to do masterclasses. <laughs> right, well, yeah, I'm not blowing my own horn, but I, I know a little bit about judo. <laughs> um, so if if you would um, if you would like um, me to come and do a masterclass at your club, please do not hesitate to ask. I, it'd be a pleasure to to do it. Um, and then yeah, so like I say, if there's any any wealthy businessmen with um, <laughs> with excess money that they want to throw at a 25 year old guy who wants to go to the next Olympics. Um, yeah, that'd be great as well. But um, on top of that, um, no, um, just if, if anybody would like to have me for a masterclass or, you know, I, I like I was saying to you before, James, I, I, I do some motivational speaking and bits and pieces now on on what we've spoken about tonight and stuff. And um sort of another string i'm trying to add to my my bow almost um but um but yeah if there's anything along those lines that people would would like me to do um or anything like that then uh please don't uh, hesitate to ask um i'm on facebook i'm on all the sort of social media things so just just contact me through there and uh what's your uh, your twitter handle or your your facebook address then ben where can people find you Oh, um, I'll just have to double check my Twitter <laughs> handle. Um, my, 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 my Facebook, um, well, what my Twitter one, if you search Ben Fletcher, um, I've, um, I've got a uh, blue tick, so uh-huh. it's the, uh, the only official <laughs> Ben Fletcher. <laughs> All right, blue tick. So, um, let, let, let me just double check it. It's, um, the, uh, Facebook, you, you'll be able to find me. My, sorry, my, my Twitter is, um, at BF one three zero three nine two um and uh it probably it's probably not wise to give you my email <laughs> on on here um just um but yeah if you wanted to direct direct message me on on twitter or on facebook um yeah feel free awesome um ben thank you very much mate i really appreciate that um yeah look i'd love to catch up with you again in maybe like six months or a little bit longer just to find out how things are progressing um yeah cool great, we'll mate. take it easy and um speak to you soon cheers mate cheers, thank you very much mate. big thanks to ben for giving up his time and coming on the show again really enjoyed chatting with you and hopefully we'll get you back on in a few weeks and um good luck in the world championships We've got some great interviews already recorded that will be coming out in the next few weeks, so that's pretty exciting. Get in touch, let me know who you'd like to hear on the podcast. Uh, best way to get a hold of me is on Twitter, and it's at uh, Original Judo Pods. I will set up a Facebook page um, in the next week or so. Uh, if it was you who left a review this week, uh, thank you very much. If you haven't left a five star review on iTunes or Stitcher yet, get on with it it takes two minutes and supports the show oh and also the kind of video i've re- recorded with matt dequino's help from beyond grafton it's going to be out soon so if you want to support the show there'll be details coming soon of how you can get a coffee anyway guys speak to you next week bye